0: All right, guys, good morning, good morning. Thanks for coming out. Um, I hope you all received the complimentary water outside. If you're a VA employee, it is less than $20. Mm -hmm. So you're good to go with that. All right, so um, here we have our disclosures. Uh, The concept of Payne University that we will be talking about today is not our original thought. Um, It was developed um, and implemented by Dr. Innenberg Bolden at the Toma VA. And just to let you know, the opinions that we express today are of our own, I and mean, they don't exactly reflect everything that may come from our facility. All right, so here are our learning objectives for you guys to take a g- glance at. Um, in summary, we're essentially wanting you guys to learn from our mistakes. I think of some quote my parents told me they made up, um, is that a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So you guys are all the wise men and we're just kind of smart. So, um, we'll talk about our facility and how it's uh, pretty unique here, and then we'll go into some of the obstacles we've faced in trying to change the paradigm shift into the biopsychosocial thought process and pain management versus just the um, fix me, cure me thought process. How many people are from a VA or a government facility? Oh yeah, representing guys, okay. All right, so hopefully you guys can take some of this back with you to your facilities, um, or maybe even give us some advice on things that we can improve for ourselves. All right, so background of our facility. um, It is a very long name, Captain James A. Level Federal Healthcare Center, pictured here. This is the only um, integrated facility within the United States that has brought together um, the Department of Veteran Affairs as well as the Department of Defense. Um, It was started in 2010, Uh, well that's when the ground was broken, but it was a few phases over a couple of years before we were established. What makes this unique is that we serve active duty military. Um, We also serve our veterans, TRICARE retiree beneficiaries and the dependents of our active duty military. Um, Our facility is comprised of three locations, the main facility located here, which has anything from primary care, pediatrics, women's health, surgery, dental, everything you can think of, we have it there. Um, And then we have our East Campus branch clinics that are our Navy clinics. and then we also have outline clinics. So if you're within the VA facility, you know about CBOX, and those are located in um, Evanston, Illinois, McHenry, Illinois, and Kenosha, Wisconsin. So if you ever come to visit our facility, I hope you all do, um, what you may see in the hallways is readying warriors and caring for heroes. This is a model that we utilize in order to understand that we are serving active duty military. Um, We want to make sure that they are ready to ship out and um, uh, what is it, prepared to fight essentially, Um, and then caring for the heroes who took care of us through their military service. So we will come in contact with about 40,000 naval recruits each year. We are the only um, training base for the Navy, and so every recruit will come through our facility at some point. Um, We have about 67,000 eligible military and retiree beneficiaries that are from either northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin that we service. And then we have about 3,000 employees um, who are either civilian employees like ourselves or they are active duty military personnel. And so, something that's a little different as well about our facility is our leadership structure. Usually, you'll have, um, from my uh, experience with other VAs, a more centralized leadership, um, and everything is coming down from one person in each section. Whereas with our leadership, it's more decentralized. So, we have a uh, civilian. Director and then we also have a military deputy director and so each leadership role is going to have a civilian or VA um, Counterpart with the military side so everyone is represented within the house, so that's a little bit different from other places All right, so that's a little bit of background about our facility Judith is going to go in to talk about where we were um, in regards to pain management so you kind of get a baseline of how we started and how far we've come judith
1: sure, thank you all right so um, with reg- with regards to where we were at previously with our pain management services um, i was hired on right at the time of the integration in 2010 so that gave me a unique position to really see where we were at with pain services and how we evolved over the course of these past nine years. Um, As mentioned, I was also hired on as a health behavioral coordinator um, through a VA initiative through the National Center of Prevention um, and I'm housed and embedded in primary care. So that gave me a unique um, vision view of where pain management services were really happening Um, because as we all know, a lot of pain services, pain patients come through primary care. So what I viewed, in my opinion, was that there was a lack of education and understanding regarding the pain experience um, and pain management in general, what to do with our pain patients. Um, And there was a lack of understanding with the patients, but also, more importantly, with our providers. Um, I think they just felt uncomfortable. I don't think a lot of them had that educational piece in their medical training. Um, and with that, there was more of a reliance on the traditional biomedical approach. So we focused more so on pharmacological treatments as well as medical interventions, and there was an overreliance of prescribing, as many facilities um, struggled with over the course of years. And you know, the focus was mainly on you know finding a quick fix. Patients would come in to see their provider; they would want this quick fix for their pain. They're uncomfortable. Um, and providers would happily prescribe medications you know in essence to kind of get them out of their office so it was a win-win situation or was it and that's something we're going to talk about and explore so besides the the quick fix approach um, we also given that we're integrated have two sides of the house our policies were not mixed so um, the va side adhered to VA guidelines and the DOD, same thing with their guidelines, and we didn't have any joint policies um, at the time of the integration. We also had a limited interventional pain clinic, which was strictly um, interventions, epidurals, injections, but it was just um, with the spine, and it was part-time staff. So um, we do not have, did not have an interdisciplinary pain clinic, um, nor did we have any dedicated pain staff at the facility we did offer services through our physical medicine and rehab department um, as you would expect physical therapy occupational therapy as well as aqua therapy we have a warm water therapeutic pool um, we had a pain school um, given my background in pain management I, and addictions I was basically voluntold to um, assume responsibility for pain school which I ran for a good couple years and we'll talk more about that in a bit yeah. Better? Okay. Um, Given that we didn't have a pain team on campus, we didn't have a lot of pain services, um, there just wasn't a big presence of pain management at our facility at the time of the integration. And we didn't have a lot of leadership support either. Um, And so a lot of the pain management services were being referred out to the community, which was costly for the facility. You're clicking. (laughs) That's okay. So now we're gonna move into some of the challenges and obstacles that we face through the integration. So if you could imagine you know, putting two facilities, when they merged us, um, they merged the Naval Hospital with the VA. And that in and of itself was a struggle, just the integration, um, because you're pairing two huge bodies together, civilians and military. And when I started on, um, I, had never been in a VA, I'd never worked in a VA. I'm not a veteran, I'm a strict civilian. I'd worked in the community for decades in group practice and with random hospitals. So when I came into the facility at the integration, it was a culture shock, to say the least. I mean, it was one thing for me to get acclimated to working with veterans, but it was another thing to get acclimated to working with our military as well because there were staff was working side by side in the majority of departments and you know with the culture shock there was a learning curve we had to learn about the language that our military counterparts spoke Um, we had to learn about what their outfits meant you know why do they wear khakis one day and whites another and what's the difference with the camo outfits that they wear Um, titles you know understanding and differentiating between the titles that they have Um, and the jargon that they use. So that was a huge learning curve, not just for patients, but also for providers. Um, The other issue with with the integration is um, our patient population. Our patient population is very vast, given that we um, service both sides. So our typical age span for treating patients, we have patients in their late teens, early 20s, all the way up to 80s, 90s, and some centurions. So it's very different from your typical VA who tend to have more middle-aged, 40s to 80s population. So trying to tailor our, po- our treatment to such a vast population was a struggle at times. We also are the only facility in the nation that has a pediatric clinic on campus. So that's another aspect of p- population that we had to serve. Um, with respect to our staff, um, there were challenges there as well, given that we have civilians working with DOD. Um, one of the things that was a challenge is the staff turnover, length of stay. Typically with VA, you know, when we come into a facility, it's a lot of people covet the position to get in. It's a good job, I won't lie. Um, you, it's steady income, the benefits are really good. And so a lot of people, when they come into the VA, they wanna make a career out of it, and they usually retire. And so they're spending about 20, 30 years in their position. The DOD staff is much different, whereas they come in and their average tour is two to three years, to our civilians 20 to 30. So you can see that that would definitely have an impact on patient care consistency, as well as with um, working with staff, with the DOD providers, Kind of coming through as a revolving door um, you get comfortable first with some people and then they leave um, just from personal experience I've had four bosses within the last year alone I had a civilian um, department head in primary care who retired after he retired we had an interim DOD provider that came in um, he was supposed to stay for a good chunk of time but after three months he was deployed so that two to three year mark got knocked down to three months Um, So then we had to transition to a new department head, who was yet again another DOD provider. That provider stayed a little bit longer, about eight months before he was stationed out. So then we have another interim provider, and this time it was a civilian who started about two to three months ago, Um, and I hear that she's gonna stay a little bit longer, but you can see that when we have staff come in and go, it can be very disruptive, not just to patient care, but to the providers as well. Um, one of the other things being integrated, but not quite, not quite united, um, we do work side by side. We, everyone's housed under one roof, so to speak. But the one area that we're not truly united in is we have two separate primary care departments, um, which impacts obviously pain management. So the VA side has a primary care department and the DOD side has a primary care department. And they see their patients in both areas, but um, there's not a lot of mixing. So the policies are pretty much separate, um, and the patient population is a little bit different in each clinic. So that has been a struggle as well, um, just in dealing with pain management in that way. When we do get different providers coming through, um, they often at times have different educational backgrounds, different training, um, and so that's an adjustment when they're coming in and leaving and so on. It can be disruptive. One other issue um, with respect to the culture is their approach to pain management. Um, As many of you know, working in the VA, there's been a huge emphasis lately on prevention and focusing on chronic disease management. Um, My position came out of the health promotion disease prevention movement. So typically with our veterans, there's more chronic issues. And so you know, we're dealing with the chronicity with pain management. Whereas on the DOD side, when the active duty recruits, recruits come in, um, it's typically for acute issues, um, if they come in at all, because oftentimes they're discouraged. Um, it's a sign of weakness sometimes to come in and get treatment. So if and when they do, um, it's get them in, fix them, ship them out so they can get back to training. Um, and the philosophy with the military still even to this day is very much in line with the no pain no gain kind of push through the pain suck it up buttercup so to speak Um, with regards to our leadership as jessica mentioned we have both sides of the house represented and we have a lot of cooks in the kitchen so we have a decentralized approach um, which is in line with the va um, but it can make for a challenge when you have The DOD providers coming in or leaving, um, they bring in new agendas, new beliefs, new values, new goals and agendas with respect to pain management or other programming, um, which can be challenging. There's also the issue, we talked about, different protocols and different policies that we continually try to unite together. But one particular issue with regards to communication that we struggle with is in the VA, You typically have you know um, a medical record cprs and vista that you use um, to work with um, patient care with our facility we have separate entities of communication so the dod has their own separate medical electronic records and unfortunately on the va and the dod side are computer systems don't communicate. That can be very challenging when you're trying to offer services, when you're trying to do in-depth reviews, particularly with your pain patients. Um, So definitely a struggle that we've run up against. Another issue that oftentimes people don't really think about because in the VA, you guys get funding from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Our facility being integrated, we draw our funding from two different paths from the Department of Veterans Affairs, but also from the Department of Defense. Um, And Washington, when they integrated us, created a unique pot where we draw our funds from and get paid from. But the caveat with that is we can't double dip. So what's the problem with this and why am I telling you this? The issue comes up with regards to funding and resources and grants. There are a lot of grants that come through for the VA to implement new programming. Um, There was one just recently for pain management um, through the CARE Act, the Comprehensive Addiction Recovery Act. Um, They mandate that we all provide alternative services and education to our providers. Um, There was a grant that came through that would offer funding and monies, I think around 15 grand to VAs if they apply. And they can utilize that money to offer services, hire on staff, or provide education. We're held to the same initiatives that all VAs and all DOD facilities have that roll out. However, with the funding, we can't access that. So that definitely puts a crimp in our style. It definitely impacts our resources and our ability to roll out some of the services that some of you all can do more readily, given that you get access to those grants. One other area that's been a struggle with the integration is the fact that um, our hiring. Jessica mentioned that they combine both of our facilities, and we are top-heavy with employees being 3,000-plus. And this is important because initially they thought that we would have more turnover and you know, we would have more openings, but unfortunately we don't, and they've capped us at that. And so what does that mean with regards to our journey in pain management? It means that we, can't, we struggle with trying to hire on staff. Um, it literally takes an act of congress congressional approval to hire on staff we have it has to be mission critical and essential for us to get new staffing in and i think as i mentioned we currently do not have an interdisciplinary pain team we don't have any dedicated pain staff at our facility all of us up here are not here because we're pain providers at our facility, but that's the roles that we've been acting in because there aren't any at the facility. So we've filled in the gaps because of the background that we bring, but also because of the passion that we have for working with this realm as well as the patient population. But issues like having to get congressional approval can really put a crimp in our style when we're trying to develop new programs. So moving into the paradigm shift, Where are we at currently with our pain management? Well, over the nine years that we've been going through the integration, um, we've definitely reduced our reliance on opioids. Back in the early, around 2010, 2011, we were prescribing over $700,000 with Oxycontin alone. with programmings that we did implement and services that we did offer, we were able to reduce that number dramatically to around 100,000 and maybe, I think it's actually less than that now. We also got a lot of our people off of really high doses of opioids and Jessica's going to talk a lot about this in some of the slides coming up. We were able to reestablish some of our pain management committees that we didn't have or they couldn't be sustained because of the lack of dedicated staff. Jessica will talk more in depth about that, but our pain management committee was reestablished, which was huge. Um, We also developed some new ones. Out of the CARE Act, we developed a PARC committee, which is, it goes along lines with um, the VA Opioid Safety Initiative committees. We also developed an Opioid Use Disorder Committee. Um, So we'll talk more about that in a bit. We revised our policy. I was able to sit down with the DOD Pain Champion and we spent months and long hours writing together our joint policy for pain management. And it reflects VA guidelines and policies and regulations as well as the DOD in one huge document, which was just recently signed off on last year. So that was a huge improvement as well. We continue to have ongoing services with our interventional pain providers as well as through physical medicine and rehab. Um, We did get approval to hire on a physiatrist, which has been very helpful in both departments, offering procedures and injections beyond just the spine. Um, We've also had a presence of pharmacy with pain management, which has been new over the years and a huge, huge help. Um, They've offsetted some of the pain management services helping out with seeing patients but also introducing you know some of the risk mitigation things that we've done such as offering and implementing some of the MAT treatments or medication assisted treatments um, that you've all heard about since you've been here this week at Pain Week Um, and Jessica will talk more about that specifically with our OUD patients. Um, We moved away from a pain school to developing more of a pain university, which you all got brochures about. um, And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But it really embodies an initiative that the VA has recently rolled out, which is whole healthcare. Um, It embodies that spirit as well as in clinical care, which we'll talk about. Um, We still have no interdisciplinary pain clinic to date and we'll talk more about that too. But we've definitely moved away from the biomedical, traditional fix-me approach, to one of a more comprehensive biopsychosocial approach, and we'll explore how we did that in just a bit. So this slide, I'm not gonna go over, because you guys have heard a lot about this, you know, what biomedical is versus biopsychosocial. So it's a good resource, I'll just leave it in there um, for you to review at your leisure. So some additional challenges that we've had in going through this paradigm shift i talked a lot about the challenges just in being integrated as a facility you know and the uniqueness of that but in going through this paradigm shift we've still struggled with staff turnover Um, our dod pain champion recently was um, transitioned out to a new tour station station where she's now in dc but with that being said i mean she was our chair for our pain Management Committee. She did a multitude of other things. She educated pretty much all of the DOD primary care staff um, as well as I don't know how many other things, but it's literally taken four to five other staff on the DOD side just to do what she did as one person. So it really does make an impact when we have the staff turnover, because there's very few of us that are working within this realm of pain management, And given the struggles with trying to hire on new people, um, or even get people involved at the facility because they don't have the allotted time, that's another issue. Um, Even the three of us, we don't get extra time really to do the things that we've been doing. And we've done a lot over the course of many years. But trying to get other people on board has been a struggle um, because there just isn't the allotted time to, to. offer to do, see the patients, or to create and implement the programs that we need to. Um, there's also an issue that I bring up, it seems you know somewhat incidental, but it is a huge issue. When you guys are developing new pain programs, and I don't know if any of you ran into this, but as we're developing new pain programs, because we remember we didn't have any on campus, We struggle because there's no space to house them. You wouldn't think that that's an issue, but it becomes a huge issue. I've been fighting this space battle for over two years at my facility, just to get dedicated space to have classroom lectures, you know, not to mention, you know, bringing in new services, where are we gonna put our providers? Who's going to take ownership of them? So that's been a huge battle. And when, if if you all are trying to plan and set up your pain programs, it's definitely something that you need to consider um, because it can be a huge hiccup in your road towards moving forward with pain. Another issue for us specifically is given that we're the only facility integrated, we don't have a blueprint for doing this. There are no cliff notes that tell us, you know, do this, or this is how you address this hiccup. Whereas with VA, there's a huge resource out there through social media, through different um, resources such as VA Pulse and some others. I mean, all you have to do is pick up the phone or click your mouse, and you can be in touch with literally thousands of your colleagues across the country. And you can get insight and information, even guidelines on, you know, a how-to to set up different programming. It's a little bit different with us. There is no other facility like us, so we're really creating things from the ground up, which can be very challenging. And it can create um, some clinical burnout that all of us, you know, you learned about earlier this week, but definitely all of us have experienced that. So that's another thing you have to be aware of and watch out for. One other thing about our facility that's unique is the issue with coverage. You wouldn't think about that because in the VA, everybody pretty much knows eligibility um, levels for their veterans as well as service connections however with our facility we have remember veterans but we also have active duty we have retirees and we have dependents and so try figuring out what the um coverage is for all of those it literally takes a full-time job to try to do that you know with the Payne university program i set up i don't know how many clinics for the program, and in doing so, you have to figure out who's gonna be eligible to attend the programs, what's the copay gonna be? You know, Can everybody in the house attend, or is this just for the veterans? So there's a lot that goes into it with regards to coverage. And some of our folks have multiple eligibilities, so that's another thing we had to take into consideration. So those were some of our challenges in going through this paradigm shift. So how did we address them? We've learned here at Pain Week That education is such, such a huge thing. Um, And that's been a huge thing with us as well at our facility, and it's really helped us immensely. Um, The brochures that I put out talks um, a little bit about the program that we transitioned into. Um, I did, as mentioned, was voluntold to take over the pain school. How many of you have pain schools at your facility? Okay, so a few of you. Basically what a pain school is, it's a program where you, it's psychoeducational. Patients come in, group, class lecture, kind of like this, but smaller. Um, And we talk about different aspects of pain management. Um, But that was it, it was very passive. You know, patients would come in, sit like all of you are, listen, and then they would leave. We would offer demonstrations like for yoga, or tai chi, or mindfulness. But then the patients left and they were tasked with the job of finding these services themselves in the community. So it was, again, very passive um, and very much about you know, pain management, so on and so forth. But with Payne University, we switched that up dramatically and it's the most comprehensive program that we have offered to date. It really embodies the biopsychosocial approach as well as treating the patient as a whole as opposed to just their symptoms. Um, It puts them in the center of their care, and it moves beyond just psychoeducation, because we do offer that, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but we move beyond because we offer treatment services too, and we've, we've implemented and developed a multitude of those. So we'll get into that a bit, but it really embodies a teach and empower kind of philosophy. And with that being said, this slide kind of shows you that our Cain university philosophy is really moving from fix me to more of teach and empower me. And this quote I really like, it's a Chinese proverb. It says, give a man a fish and you, teach him, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And that's really what we're trying to do through Pain University: is empower our patients to be more active with their self-management and improve their overall functioning. So I'm not going to go into detail per detail with Pain University. You have the brochures, for time's sake. But this was developed from uh, Toma VA by Dr. Kristen Innenberg Bolden, as Jessica mentioned. Um, It started because they were looking for alternatives to utilizing opioids. And she structured it based off of a university structure. I mean, we've all been to college, university, advanced schooling. Um, I'm in that whole college mode right now. I have a daughter who just went to her freshman year at Texas A&M, go Aggies. But um, if you think about college, it's very much um, where you have different levels of classes. You've got an intro, prerequisite level where you have your major, for our sake it's pain, um, but there are prerequisites, things that you need to know before you can move forward into your core study. Um, so our introductory classes teach patients about the neuroscience through the explain, explain pain basis you know, that Dr. David Butler and Dr. Laura Mosley have um, kind of produced, and you've heard about some of that in some of the classes that you've taken this week. Um, after patients complete the two 100 levels, they are assigned a health coach. So here comes the whole health piece of things. So they meet with a health pain coach um, individually, and they get to tell their pain story. Um, they also get to talk about what really matters to them with regards to their pain management. You know, And sitting down, going through a, a screening assessment known as the personal health inventory, Um, they get to look at you know the different aspects of whole health in the wheel of health if some of you learned about that this week and they look at where they're at and then where they want to go and then the pain coach helps them to address some of the discrepancies and we educate them about all the services that we have to offer which some of those would be treatment services at the 200 level as you can see those are services such as physical therapy hypnosis um, biofeedback CBT act Um, recreational programs and the such. The 300 level are more advanced classes that support your major but for pain patients it's supporting the functionality that they've improved upon and how can they maintain that. So offering advanced classes in nutrition and pain, sleep and pain, um, aromatherapy, um, introduction to radiology, relaxation, um, waiting to exhale, and a bunch of others that are in your brochure that you can read about. We got involved in this back in 2017 when we went to learn about it. We posed it to our leadership. They approved our pilot back in November of 2018, and it was just recently accepted as a permanent program at our facility back in May of this year. So we're super excited that we now have this to roll out and offer to our patients. So with that being said, another way that we addressed our challenges was through patient care. Um, This is another kind of busy slide, but what I'm gonna say is read through this yourself because I think a better way to explain our patient care is through the next slide, which is an interview that I did with one of my patients. She kind of saw me through from the very beginning of the integration to where we're at now. Um, she worked with me through our pain schools. She went through the paradigm shift, and you know, she kind of explains you know climbing the mountain in how we educated both patients and staff, marketed, um, got buy-in from everyone involved, and then utilizing some of the skills that you've learned about health coaching, MI skills, goal setting, and then incorporating some of the other things. Oh.
0: Let- How many of you had to establish a pain committee within your facility? Yes, you guys understand our, our, our lovely struggles here. Um, so we developed a few different committees um, over the past two to three years. One was our, oh, I'm clicking buttons. One was our pain management committee. This is a multidisciplinary committee, which ranges from our primary care providers, pharmacists, operational specialists within the facility. Um, We all come around the table each month to figure out any policies that need to be updated, such as the JPI that Judith mentioned. Um, For example, there are different uh, policies in regards to PDMP monitoring, annual drug screens, informed consents between the VA side and the DOD side. So essentially we merged both parts, what worked best for us and created our own JPI for everything to go under one roof. Um, Again, it's a policy recommending body to the medical staff, and we want to improve pain management. That's why a lot of us are here, right? Improve pain management within our facility, as well as improve education for our providers. So any providers here? Good morning. Um, So you may understand, you guys have a better understanding of pain management, but a lot of our providers are not very, what I would say, savvy or secure in their pain management strategies. And so being able to provide education for them and making them more comfortable with their prescribing practices has definitely been a help um, coming through our PMC. And this committee um, reports mainly to that chain of command that we talked to earlier, but it's an umbrella committee. So underneath them, we have our park committee So any of you have an opioid safety initiative committee within your facility? Okay, I don't think we have any DOD providers, but there is a LOTS committee, which is a long-term opioid therapy safety initiative through the DOD side. Everybody's doing the same thing, right? Yes, we just get the joy of trying to bring it all together. Um, So with PARC, it's interdisciplinary. So we all come in and bring in our own expertise um, to recommend different things for different patients. Um, We have a pharmacist. uh, We have a primary care provider and a DOD internal medicine provider. Um, We also have psychology, physical therapy, social work, um, and we just received our suicide prevention coordinator because there's some suicide prevention things coming out that are new. Um, We did have a nurse but she was not able to stick with us. So hopefully we'll find a new one. Um, We have a consult or we created a consult um, for our providers to send us patients that they just don't know what to do with. You all may experience that. Um, The great thing about electronic consults is you kind of get anything that comes through and they weren't utilized appropriately. Um, So there again, education, letting people know, okay, this is the appropriate patient to send to us. Um, if you just need a titration or a taper, call Jessica. <laughs> that wasn't a good idea either. Um, and then we also are able to do a deeper dive for these providers, right? So do they really go to physical therapy or did they just go one time? I don't know, it's in their chart, it says they went. So the providers are not sure, so they bring it to us and we're able to actually go through their full chart to make a appropriate recommendation for them. Um, we also look at prescribing practices. So. We have some outliers that are, you know, very ambitious in their prescribing practices and how do we change that? You know, is this an issue that we need to um, address and who do we go to, PMC? Um, And then we also report to regional or vision leadership. We report to national leadership um, on both sides. And then how many of you are familiar with the storm risk reviews? Yeah. If you're not, what that is is there's a group of patients who are deemed very high risk, high risk, medium risk, et cetera, for overdose or um, suicide with their opioids. And we were mandated, I believe last year, to review 97% of those patients. Um, and we were pushed in, in there and said, go for it. Um, and uh, what you see is that it's pretty difficult to do that when you don't have dedicated time to, to go through all those charts. Um, so. Usually pharmacy will review those patients and we'll present it um, in the part committee and then we'll make our recommendations from there. So how have we, do we make an impact? You know, leadership wants to see numbers, right? They don't care about all this other stuff we're doing, chart reviews, ugh. So um, we did make an impact. So we were able, these numbers are good to go down, okay? So we're decreasing the amount of opioids that have been dispensed. We're also decreasing, um, we're the blue line, the number of patients that are over 90 morphine equivalent daily doses, and then we're increasing or decreasing the amount of patients who are prescribed opioids and benzos. Um, For me, being a millennial, I would like for that numbers to go down a lot faster, but I'm learning to be patient. But we are making a positive impact. Here are risk mitigation strategies. So we have made improvements in regards to annual PDMP monitoring. are we doing informed consents and updating those informed consents for our patients? Annual urine drug screen monitoring. Those PDMP monitoring, that really skyrocketed, but um, we're able to make sure that our patients are safe. And then lastly, our OUD committee came about. Um, we were tasked to review these patients and we had about 1,000 patients um, on our list that were either diagnosed or undiagnosed with opioid use disorder. We, as Park said, oh, let's get an OUD committee going because we can't do that. Um, And so this is another interdisciplinary team. You can see the uh, players here as well. Pharmacy, addiction specialists play a major role here. One good thing that came about from this is we were able to implement medication-assistant therapy practices within our facility. We increased our number of ex-waiver providers, um, which has had a little bit of turnover again. Um, but we are able to provide MAT for our patients now. So it's been pretty good. We were looking to implement um, a buprenorphine clinic within our primary care um, area, but the provider that was uh, spearheading that ended up leaving. Good old turnover, right? Everyone's like, yeah, and it was a VA provider. Anyway, um, so We are increasing our numbers of patients that are diagnosed with opioid use disorder. The VA has a really good dashboard that gives you information about these patients so you can see um, different diagnoses and if they're at risk and how to um, educate these patients. Uh, We do have some room for improvement, but we are moving forward, which is great. And then we're also making sure that we have appropriate risk mitigation strategies for these patients, so the big OEND naloxone push um, everyone is getting naloxone. I think if you get one opioid at this point, you're getting a naloxone. So um, so that's, that's kind of what has been beneficial for us in implementing these committees. So where do we wanna go? Who has a pain clinic proper? Oh gosh, you guys are amazing. We need to call you. Um, we do not have a specific pain clinic where we have dedicated staff, which Judith has mentioned. Um, well, oh, sorry. You, you're understanding my pain here. Um, but no, no, no. You're fine. Um, but we are looking to develop this. So we have a committee that is looking to go into the numbers, looking at the math. How much money are we spending? How much can we save? Um, and it's more so looking into the future. I can't. I don't have a magic ball to tell you what we're going to save. But we are doing our business case analysis, and we're in the process of presenting to our board of directors. We got the buy-in to do the numbers, now we're hopefully gonna get the buy-in to hire the staff. Again, it really is an act of Congress, (laughs) so uh, encouraging words would be great after this presentation. Um, So next, what we'll do is go into what success looks like for us, because we've been telling you a lot of challenges this morning, and Judith will come back in with that. We have, oh
1: goodness, (laughs) you can hear me now. We have had over 500 plus consults that have come in since November of last year, which is huge. Um, it shows that providers know what we're doing and they're trying to get our patients access into the programs that we offer. And this is both sides of the house. So we've really improved um, the services that we've been able to offer, You know, not just our veterans, but also our DOD folks and our TRICARE beneficiary. Because Payne University is open to everyone. We've had veterans. Um, we've had active duty, we've had retirees, dependents, as well as employees, all of the above. And also in Payne University, before I forget, we also have a class that we created specific just for our providers. So, whereas our patients, Get educated in the intro level, you know, with the neuroscience and about the the program itself proper. We also do that with our providers. We created a special class for they for them to attend, and you know, some of our numbers with regards to attendance, we've had in these numbers, we've improved upon since. We've had close to 250 patients come through the introductory level, um, and with our training for our providers, we've had probably around 150 to 160 providers that have come through. That number doesn't seem very big, but with regards to the number of providers we have on campus, it's about 10 to 25%. So it's a good start, but it's, you know, obviously we can improve upon it. I want to get every provider in to get this education because the benefit of educating patients and providers is it puts them all on the same page everybody knows now what we have to offer there's better communication but they're also speaking the same language which is huge so our communication has improved exponentially really through a unified and collaborative approach Um, We've also incorporated or working on incorporating telehealth services to access those patients that may be homebound by doing some video connect services with them, um, but also offering telehealth um, for our CBOX, for our outpatient clinics. Um, So some of the providers as well as the patients can have access to some of these services and programs. We've expanded, as I mentioned, um, Payne School didn't offer treatments, Payne University does. We've moved towards adding on alternative modalities such as yoga. Whereas we talked about it first, now we have four classes that we offer to patients. We also offer Tai Chi classes. We established a battlefield acupuncture clinic. And we got approval to hire on a brand new acupuncturist as well as a chiropractor. So those are huge developments. We've, al- we've also um, worked with our recreational therapy department and got them involved to offer more services. Um, art therapy, music therapy, drumming circles, guitars for vets, um, equine therapy, and the list goes on and on because that really addresses the psychology and the social within this biopsychosocial approach. Um, there's also, we've trained and continue to train our staff in whole health coaching. And that's not just for Payne University, that's also for facility-wide, um, because health coaching is, you know, it looks at chronic disease management, so it's applicable to a majority of the other clinics on campus um, with, regard, with respect to some of the chronic disease issues we face. Jessica talked a lot about the risk mitigation. As I mentioned, we've reduced our overall opioid use. Um, We've also increased our MAT treatment with um, offering more naloxone kits um, at the pharmacy windows as well as in the hallways in mental health and in other buildings scattered around campus. The other thing that is a goal that we haven't quite reached, but it's certainly something I want to expand upon, is working with changing the philosophy with respect to assessment a lot of people still focus on the numeric rating of pain, you know, using that zero to 10 scale. And I think, you know, I don't think that's very telling. I don't think it tells us much about where the patient is at or what their pain experience is. So I've really been trying to make more of a shift in looking at and assessing more about functionality, um, because I think that is really where things are at. Um, and it makes more of a difference with regards to how pain impacts the way a person lives. So with that being said, what kind of feedback have we gotten? Um, I've included some of the quotes that we've given our patients and our providers evaluation forms when they come through some of the classes through Pain University. And these are just some of the quotes um, that they've written and just to highlight some of the more prevalent on the patient side. This program gives me hope and a sense of excitement in learning ways to take control of my pain with tools that will actually help. So patients are taking more of an active role with regards to their pain management, and it's empowering them, it's actually working. So that's a huge positive. With our providers, um, you know, we've gotten a lot of thank yous and great job, um, excellent course. I think the one that really speaks is this multifaceted approach is best. Um, And I don't think I could say it any better than that. So it is working, we're reaching both sides with regards to patients and providers. And to finish up, um, and I apologize about the video, but I will turn the table over to our final presenter, Robert Towell, who is a good friend and a valued colleague. Um, He is a physical therapist. He's been working with me throughout the duration of this integration and the evolution through pain. Um, worked with me through Payne School, up through Payne University. So um, he's unique in that he is a provider, but he's also a veteran. So he can speak to a multitude of things from that perspective. He also works on both sides of the house. So he works with the veterans and the VA staff, as well as on the DOD side with active duty and recruits.
2: There you go. and And thanks for sticking around we, i know we've we 're very short on time, so i 'll just be quick. Um, th- this is an incredible team right here these these guys and turning this ship around as we say in the navy is doesn 't happen overnight um, This has been an also an incredible week learning and and getting new energy and 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 really seeing um, how much we can do uh, with with the help of everybody here. Um, I spent twenty five years in the Navy. Um, at first as a hospital corpsman and then as a physical therapist. And from my background, it was mostly orthopedics and sports, um, the biomedical approach. Now we're trying to make that paradigm shift. Uh, there's not a lot of people that want to do this. As we all know, this is um, a challenge for all of us who uh, are, are, are basically, you know, land in this. We didn't ask or volunteer to do it. Judith recruited me back in 2010 when we first did the merger and we started working together. Uh, off and on, I was with her. Um, again, I was placed in positions of leadership when there was gaps with the military because I had done that in the military before. So, you know, you, you, you do what you need to do to keep the, um, uh, the department running. There's a lot of politics um, but, and very busy clinics. Our pain services are very, you know, segregated and siloed. Um, it's not the optimum way of practicing uh, pain management, but we're getting better. Um, The merger was very stressful. Um, the pain university program that we went to in tomah wisconsin if you ever have the opportunity um, they do provide training and that's part of what they won the the shark tank diffusion of excellence award uh, a few years ago and that's part of the the commitment that they've made so if you ever have that opportunity to go to any of their training up there in tomah they did a really good job of of helping us all make that paradigm shift of understanding the biopsychosocial approach to pain and we all knew that i knew that that you know, our thoughts and emotions um, uh, had a lot to do with pain, um, as you know, over the years. But it's trying to get the patient and speak that language, and get the patients and the providers to to help us make that shift. Um, over on the DoD side, I work on the DoD side. It's a they're very busy. Again, they're very segregated, siloed. Um, but we do have some new, younger. Providers coming up from uh, f- through the military that are that are biting or their are tasting the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Okay, and 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 that's helpful. Um, in our own department in physical medicine and rehab, we have a couple of new providers who are also trying to taste the Kool-Aid. But at the same time, people are afraid to make a commitment to this. So so we need their support. Um, I want to give kudos to both Judith and Jessica for um, all the work that they've done on committees, um, on programming and, and I'm just there to, to help, um, and, and do all I can do. Um, uh, there's, we have new energy, we have new light. Thank you to this to, to pain week and, and all the people here that I've had a chance to talk to and, and, and network with. Um, uh, to, to reach the summit, to answer the second question, I think what we w- would like to do, and hopefully everybody here in this audience is, is over the next year, um, our goal is to just continue to work hard, collect more data, be able to market with our leadership, um, try to convince our leadership to continue to, you know, provide us the, the, the support that we need, the staffing, the space, um, just the, um, uh, you know to help make that paradigm shift it's it's not just us it's everybody it's all of our rehab people we come from a an old-school biomedical approach um, orthopedics sports so to speak but a lot of our providers um, are coming from the same uh, place um, you know we want to try to keep helping calm our patients and calm this this opiate crisis and 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 spread the word about Pain Week and Payne University. I want to thank everybody for um, everything that they've done here for us this week to, to help us um, get new ideas and new energy, and thank you for attending.
0: Thank you, guys. Sorry we're a little bit over, but if you do have questions or concerns, we'll be over here on the side. Again, there's complimentary water uh, outside the door.